Thank you, Doug Peterson. Just, just thank you, Doug Peterson. That's why. That's how I want to start episode fifty-one of my show. I am Ari Bumar. He's Amal Ronak, and yeah, I mean, I just want to start off by saying thank you, Doug Peterson. We're just going to jump right into the news. This is the Flea Flicker NFL show, and Doug Peterson got fired, Amal. So I just want your thoughts from an outside perspective, because obviously I'm going to go on a rant eventually, like probably after you're done finished, you're finished talking. But I have a lot to say, but I want to hear what you have to say first. Yeah, so uh, Eagles head coach Doug Peterson has been fired. Um, he won the Super Bowl three years ago, and it's quite shocking that a coach three years out of the Super Bowl is getting fired. Considering Dan Quinn, he didn't even win it, but he made the Super Bowl, and he just got fired this past year. Uh, it, it's it's kind of crazy to see that the Eagles gave up on a, on a, on a coach that quickly. Arib and I both we I don't know if we 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 may have just talked about like coaching the coaching tier list and everything, but we had Peterson elite top five head coach in the National Football League entering into the season. And he, he won, he, he won the Super Bowl, like I said, and I'm, I'm shocked that, uh, that it really happened, man. Uh, He came from the Andy Reid coaching tree uh, and he's shown great success. He's 42 and 37 uh, in the regular season. He's, he's got a 53% uh, one percentage in the regular season, four and two in the postseason, including the win in the Super Bowl. Um, but yeah, man, this, this is a uh, crazy stuff. Uh, thoughts. I, I'm, I'm disappointed to see him go. I like, I, we talked about it last week. I believe that the decision making he was making in that game, now the reports are coming out, especially uh, from like credible sources like Ian Rappaport, saying that Doug Peterson just wasn't happy that he didn't have that much of a say. He felt like he was being over-controlled. He, he, people were controlling him in a sense. And uh, I, don't, I mean, that that's the way it clearly looked like, honestly, because why would... I, don't, I highly doubt that this head coach, knowing that his job may potentially be on the line, is so willing to just lose a game like that and just give up. I, he definitely had to have been told to to um, make those decisions. And uh, unfortunately, he has to pay the consequences to it because, I mean, obviously the public are, like, fuming that this happened. Obviously not all Eagles fans are, but it's just, like, that. that's, that's, a, that's a lame move. And they thought it was on Doug Peterson. Well, I mean, not all the blame should be on Doug Peterson. It should be on the up, on the higher ups, and uh, as a result, he got fired. I obviously don't think it's because of that game. Obviously, I doubt that's even a factor. But the fact that uh, he only had four wins on the season that definitely means something. It's very hard to stay uh, as the as still a head coach with four wins, knowing that everything went wrong. Um, from offense to defense, special teams everywhere. And the only real promising game they had was against the Saints. But that was also the first time that the Saints have seen Jalen Hurts play and everything. So I, I, I don't know if the same thing would happen if they played each other again. But, it, I mean, that, that, that was the game where I thought the Eagles had something to show forth. They have a starting quarterback maybe in the future. But now even that is completely in the air, even with this Doug Peterson uh, firing. 
Doug Peterson, even though he did get fired, it does help. There are reports saying that it would increase the chances of Carson Wentz staying as the Philadelphia Eagle for the season because they, they believe that the main sort of issue was that uh, Doug, Peterson didn't, Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz had a fractured relationship. So with the, maybe a new quarterback, that maybe a new coach to help the quarterback that could uh, help mend things. But, yeah, I mean, this, this, uh, I'm looking forward to see what the Eagles do right now. We already know our thoughts on why the Eagles are in this position. We've talked about it, honestly, on almost on a daily basis. Outside of the podcast, on the podcast, we, whenever we mention the Eagles, we always mention one man, and that's Howie Roseman. Uh, it's quite crazy that he's gone through so many, all of these coaching changes. A- Andy Reid was the co- coach for so long. He got let go, and they hired Chip Kelly, and he got let go. Then they hired Doug Peterson. Now he got let go, and for the fourth head coach, it looks like that uh, Howie Roseman's still there. And Jeffrey Lurie's excuse saying that they were now they're they were focusing on long term, and now they want to win on short. I mean, I that non I, that's all nonsense in my opinion. Uh, like, come on now, uh, stupidity. I, I like what? Um, doesn't make any sense. He 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 himself though did say. I'll recommend Doug Peterson. He may get another job in the next week. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think like the Jets would be the perfect uh, fit for Doug Peterson. Him and him back with Joe Douglas, I think uh, that would be a match made in heaven. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's Doug, the main reason Doug Peterson, I think, just got fired, I think was mainly because there were reports that came out that Doug, Doug Peterson had coaching suggestions made towards Jeffrey Lurie and Jeffrey Lurie did not uh, agree with them, such as having um, promoting Matt Burke from defensive line coach to defensive coordinator, uh, Press Taylor to offensive coordinator. I mean, the quarterback's coach to being offensive coordinator when the quarterbacks haven't playing, haven't been playing the best doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, it's just a bunch of crazy shit, man. Uh, I think (sighs) – there are a couple candidates that come in mind for me, obviously, when it comes to replacing Doug Peterson. Number one, obviously, being E.B., Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, he's had – he's uh, part of that Andy Reid coaching tree still, so they're not completely leaving that yet. And uh, he, he played actually for the Eagles, too, under, Eric, under Andy Reid, too. And back with the Eagles in, like, by, I believe, 1999 – uh, around that time, he played with him, and the enemy's been the best offensive coordinator in football. He's he's been killing it, and uh, that's another uh, it's an option. Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator for the Titans, is not a bad option. Uh, we obviously talked about Brian Dable, but um, I told the Reeb maybe Lincoln Riley. That's not a bad idea either. Maybe if they if the Eagles are certain that Jalen Hurts is their starting quarterback. They can maybe bring back his former uh, his former head coach and Lincoln Riley from college, and uh, that could maybe help mend things too. But yeah, I mean, Arib to say I remember saying last year Doug Peterson may be in the hot seat didn't make sense when I said it obviously, and uh, they made the playoffs that year. This year when we were talking about hot seats, 
we ba- we barely honestly mentioned Doug Peterson because we expected that there were already early reports saying Doug Peterson is expected to return. So we didn't necessarily say that he was on the hot seat. But uh, this firing, I think, is mainly because the owner and the head coach did not uh, meet it, have a meeting of the minds. So, yeah, man, kind of crazy, kind of crazy stuff. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah, you hit on a lot of stuff there. And I think I just want to read something from Ian Rappaport. It's something he tweeted out after the like the official the official announcement that Doug Peterson was out as head coach from the Philadelphia Eagles. It's going to take me a second to find it. But here's something from Derek Gunn, first of all, who is a, a local Eagles uh, writer. He said, Doug Peterson just told me, no worries. I'm peace. I'm at peace with it. And he's talking about being fired. Like, I don't know a single head coach who would be fi- like happy that they're fired or p- at peace with it. And there's also the, probably the most damning thing is that Ian Rappaport reported that when it, what, what it boiled down to was Peterson was sick of people telling him what to do. And you hit on this too. But I'm going to give you a pretty good – I have a few analogies in this segment and this tangent I'm about to say, but I have a few things I want to say. So Doug Peterson was sick of people telling him what to do. I want to go back to Carolina, okay? It might be a weird thing to talk about, but Matt Rule, head coach of the Carolina Panthers, he was – a guy who was from Baylor, from the college ranks. He's had no pro, you know, no pro success, uh, success whatsoever in the NFL. But the Carolina Panthers, they have a good owner down there. He was like, you know what? I'll let you pick your entire coaching staff. I'll let you do whatever you want. It's your team, right? And, like, we'll give you a few years and we'll see what happens. Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl, and he was not given that power by Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman to essentially pick – a pickage coaching staff, make draft picks, any of that stuff. Doug Peterson was not given that power. And repeatedly, you hit on the whole tanking issue that happened in week 17 where Jalen Hurts was pulled in a three-point game and Nate Sudfeld, the backup to the backup quarterback, was put in. And people were made a huge thing that, oh, Doug Peterson's ruining the culture, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, do you think Doug Peterson would have made that move if – he knew that his job was on the line. I don't think he would have made the move because that move is a future. Yeah. That's a move for the future. You're clearly tanking for the future. It's pretty obvious that Howie Roseman, the GM, and Jeffrey Lurie, the owner, are the real ones who had that type of plan in mind. And Doug Peterson took the fall for their actions. That's just what it is. Another situation, Jason Peters. Jason Peters was – essentially he didn't want to play right guard. He wanted to play left uh, tackle, but he wanted to be paid extra money. And the Eagles put Doug Peterson on the podium and were like, they, they pretty much made him spill nonsense. They were like, uh, we, we don't want to start Jason Peters at left tackle yet, blah, 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 making up nonsensical excuses for it. And they made him look like a clown. Repeatedly, Doug Peterson has had to go out there and defend actions that he clearly has no part in. And as a Super Bowl winning head coach, he should have a part in these decisions. He should, he should have a say in, the, in whether or not Jason Peters should actually get the money that he wanted to play left tackle. Or he should have a say in whether or not he should actually want to tank. And he shouldn't be put up there on the podium to have to defend actions of other men. That just makes no sense whatsoever. Doug Peterson is probably honestly happy that he's gone. If I'm Doug Peterson right now, I'm sitting back. I'm just relaxing, knowing that, you know what, in a week from now, I'm going to be employed for a team that's going to value me. 
a team that's going to be willing to let me have personnel control, a team that's willing to respect me and give me the respect that I deserve as a Super Bowl winning head coach, that clearly the Eagles dysfunctional organization was not willing to give. And I hate, I don't hate Colin Cowherd, but he gives a few analogies. And here's an analogy I want to come up with. It's, an, it's a relationship analogy. Doug Peterson's the guy here. You have Jeffrey Lurie, who's the, uh, who's the girl. And then you have um, Howie Roseman, who's the BFF of the girl, right? And so Doug Peterson, he's a great guy, you know, all that stuff. And Jeffrey Lurie, he has some toxic tendencies and Doug Peterson, he's a nice guy. He keeps overlooking it, keep, keeps overlooking it. And then Howie Roseman, or actually I guess it's the other way, but Howie Roseman's just the BFF, and he's just sort of getting away with stuff. Like, he'll, like the BFF will be toxic. Uh, Doug Peterson will be like, the boyfriend will be like, you know what, I don't, agree, I don't agree with this guy, this girl being your best friend. He's clearly being toxic. He's not, she's not improving her life. I think you should move on for him. And then Jeffrey Lurie is just like, no, just, just no. Like he chose his best friend over a good life partner in Doug Peterson. Kind of a weird analogy. Didn't really say it out the best way, but that's just how I'm looking at it. There's just a weird power structure and dynamic with the Philadelphia Eagles. And clearly there's a reason why the last two head coaches have been driven out. It's because they had, they beefed with Howie Roseman and Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly was essentially kicked out of the Eagles because he had beef with Howie Roseman. He, didn't want Howie Roseman to be in the organization. And he, he, that, he clearly was like how Jeffrey Larry clearly allowed that to happen because he gave Chip Kelly full control of the organization. And here, Doug Peterson, who by all accounts is a great guy. He's the type of guy who's not trying to, he's not trying to get into any controversy. He came out here and he said he has beef with Howie Roseman, essentially. And it's just crazy that Howie Roseman, the GM of the Philadelphia Eagles, is able to escape after multiple years of bad drafting, bad contracts, just essentially destroying your franchise quarterback's morale by drafting a backup quarterback. So many bad things that Howie Roseman has gotten away with. And Jeffrey Lurie is just like that toxic girlfriend who is, just ignores everything that the, her best friend says, even if the best friend is a toxic influence. That's just how I see the Eagles, the Eagles situation right now. And if I look at future head coaching hires, who what head coach would want to come to the Eagles? Because, I mean, the, the power dynamic is so clearly skewed towards ownership and Jeffrey Lura and GM and Howie Roseman. I wouldn't want to work with the Eagles. Like, if I'm Eric Bieniemy and if I get an offer from the Eagles or another team, I'm picking the other team 10 times out of 10 because I want to have full control. And you see the way they drove a Super Bowl head coach, a Super Bowl winning head coach out of town. They clowned him. They made him look – they did him dirty and all. They put him out there made him take the fall for the for the tanking incident, made him take the fall multiple times this year, made him look like a fool, and then leaked stories today about how he wanted to hire Press Taylor as his OC, all this nonsense. Essentially, they made him look like garbage on the way out, and that's just not a way a reasonable head coach and a reasonable – like, this guy is a guy who – deserves credit and that's not someone that's not the way you should be treating someone like that and a, a true organization like i don't know the saints or someone like that they would be treating their head coach who won a super bowl with dignity not the way the eagles treated doug peterson and i just think i have a, a list of what i wanted to say like the way it happened i just think the way it happened is disrespectful to doug but doug wanted out and doug is probably happy he's gone he's going to find a new head coaching job pretty quickly. And I think it's pretty safe to say he's the best head coaching candidate on the market. So as of right now, I think Doug Peterson is happy. He doesn't have to deal with Howie Roseman. And that tells you the true problem with the Eagles, Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Lurie, and their 
just just their the way that the power structure is in the ego is just very toxic is from what i'm getting but i don't want to end this segment off on negativity i just want to say thank you doug peterson because you gave me the best moment as an egos fan i've ever had and will probably ever have in my life as an egos fan so i just want to say thank you to doug peterson and unless you want to add anything else more, i think we can move on to some other news that has happened this week yeah i mean <clears throat> kind of kind of upsetting honestly that uh all this has been happening for doug peterson poor guy i mean like i like we've all been saying top five head coach and it's unfortunate that he the offensive line injuries that's been had they're not just offensive line the injuries that have been there all around from alshon jeffrey to brandon brooks to to uh to there's so many dudes dillard andre dillard I mean, Carson Wentz not being injured, but the fact that he hasn't been playing the best football either. I mean, it, it's 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 just it's it's so upsetting that all of this has been happening. But yeah, I mean, for me, yeah, we can honestly move on. The, it's uh, kind of sad that we have to, that we're just spending this long about it. But hey, man, I think that Howie Roseman guy is he's 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 a problem. And he's not, he's not a problem uh, on the football field. It's the problem that he's doing off the football field that's impacting the performance on the football field. Uh, but, yeah, um, I've just gotten news that the Eagles have reached out to Lincoln Riley in regards uh, to their vacancy at head coach. This is breaking news. Just came out like five minutes ago. Um, like I said, I think that move would make a lot of sense. And if that is the if if he leaves college, that would be insane. But I, I mean, I I would never ever expect Lincoln not Riley to leave college because he's dominant at his job, um, probably the best offensive mind in college football. And uh, yeah, if uh, if he does leave, that would that would be something, man. And the Eagles would have a special uh special coach, very special coach at uh, at uh. Um, in uh, in Lincoln Riley. So, Reed, what are your thoughts on that? That just came out. Hey, I'd love Lincoln Lincoln Riley. Like, I, I, I as 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 unhappy as I am with Doug Peterson, he had his flaws as a head coach, and that can't be overlooked. Like, he and Doug Carson Wentz did not mesh well. There's lots of flaws. His like his just lackluster thinking sometimes. His lackluster play design, all that. I love again. I love Doug Peterson, but he did have some faults as a head coach. So if you can potentially improve at least on the offensive side of the ball with someone like Lincoln Riley, I'd be all in. But as I just said, Amal, I mean, if I'm Lincoln Riley, I need a big payday to leave Oklahoma, and also I need I need guarantees that I'm going to have full control. Howie Roseman's not going to be involved in me picking my coaching staff, me having all these game day decisions. He needs to have full control of that, and. Even if they do say, even if Jeffrey Lurie is like, yeah, we'll give that to you. Can you really trust him, bro? Like, can you trust Jeffrey Lurie? Because, I mean, he just drove out a Super Bowl winning head coach. And he did it in, like, probably the most disgraceful way he could have. Like, I just wouldn't trust the Eagles right now. And if I'm the Eagles, like, I just don't know who wants to be a head coach on my team. Like, Brian Dable, he worked with Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott was close with. Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson probably doesn't have the best things to say about how Jeffrey Lurie and Harry Roseman at the moment. Same thing with oh. Eric Bieniemy, Colt, uh, with the Chiefs connection. Same thing with Mike D- uh, Dafka, or I think Mike, whatever his name is, the QB coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. You have the Andy Reid connection. You really think Doug Peterson is going to be like, 
yeah, I really liked my time as an Eagle the entire time. And Harry and Je uh, Jeffrey were not intrusive in my workflow whatsoever. Like, no, he's probably going to give a negative work review, like just flat out. Same thing with Brian Dable. Uh, like I just, I don't know. Ma. I'm, I'm hesitant in thinking that the Eagles are really going to get the best coaching hire they can get because th the roster is old. They have controversy in the higher ups. They have controversy in the front office. They have controversy with who their quarterback is going to be. They have lackluster offensive talent. Their defense is old and has really does not have that much money put into it. It's just, there's lots of flaws on this team. And like I said, I would pick another team to coach over the Eagles all day. If I'm a Joe Brady, I would pick somewhere like the Houston Texans all day. Cause at least you have like a solid thing that you know, you're going to have, a superstar quarterback in Deshaun Watson. You don't know what you have with the Eagles, just frankly. It's just a big question mark. Yeah, but they but they have but Lincoln Riley is very familiar with Jalen Hurts. And I, I like it I said, it, it 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 is it's a that's a long shot, obviously. Lincoln Riley's gonna be getting crazy money. I mean, he deserves it, honestly. He's he's an elite head coach in, in the college game. Urban Meyer, we we're gonna we didn't want to talk touch on him, but Urban Meyer is asking for crazy money as well because I mean it's the, it's the college game and uh, he's also an elite head coach, so uh, yeah I mean in general I, I think this this wouldn't be a bad idea, and then that news just sprouted up so um, the news that we really wanted to say was uh, coming from Deshaun Watson we talked about him uh, last week briefly that uh, he, he wants out, and it's very clear that he wants out, and he's going to play hardball to force his way out. And uh, right now the main rumor is uh, he's try he would welcome a trade to uh, the Miami Dolphins, and that only way that would be possible is if there's a 2-0 Tango-Vailoa swap. And uh, that's according to Chris Mortensen of ESPN. And my thoughts on this, I think the Dolphins – it's a reach move, but you know what you're getting with Deshaun Watson. And, then, and Tua Tungavailoa struggled a little bit in his rookie year, and he did get benched a lot, especially in like the second half of games. But I think uh, it's a reach move, obviously, because you're, you're, you're definitely going to be giving up you're the pick that they gave you. The third pick, um, you, you'd have to give that up along with Tua. But uh, – it, it, you'd have to give up a lot to get Deshaun Watson, but you know what you're getting with Deshaun Watson. So that being said, if I were the Dolphins, I would do this any day of the week. And uh, the Texans, if he, if the Texans are really, they, if if uh, Watson's really uh, hell bent on leaving the team, and uh, he he really wants out, then um, hey man, you, it's like the NBA. You just gotta you gotta listen to what the player says and just uh, go with it. We're seeing a similar situation with James Harden. He's listed his teams out, and uh, we haven't seen anything like that in the NBA and the NFL. Deshaun Watson, um, he's, he's welcome to trade to Miami because Miami's got everything. They've got an insane defense out there. They, they're just they're, – they're, their quarterback's decent, I mean, now. And uh, if they get Deshaun Watson, that old line is already pretty decent. Maybe if they keep developing that, they'll be good. But yeah, I mean, I, I like this if I'm Miami, but it's just a it's just a reach considering you just drafted Tua with the fifth pick last year. But I mean, hey, we talked about Josh Rosen and the Kyler Murray situation. How you thought that that may not have been the best idea considering they just drafted Rosen and then they could have given him one more year, and uh, that that clearly was the right decision. And uh, here you just have to feel bad for like Tua in the situation that the, the French has already given up on you. So 
But yeah, that's my thoughts on that. I don't think the franchise has given up on Tua yet. I don't. I, I don't think those reports are like outrageous. You don't give up on someone who you drafted with the first fifth overall pick exactly. last year, exactly. who's coming yeah. off a yeah. hip injury, like all of that. You got to give him time to develop. And I hate to use Josh Allen as an example because he's really the outlier. But Josh wild Rosen, things Rosen. can happen. No, I'm talking about Josh Allen as someone who started off their career bad but developed into oh, like a yeah, legitimate yeah, yeah, superstar. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, that's, that's an true. outlier situation, yeah, that's, but it yeah, can happen. True. And Tua is a talented player. He's someone who's very cerebral when it comes to playing the game of football. So there's no reason for me to think why he can't take a second-year like a second year leap. That being said, if this trade was presented to me, I would definitely take it because – Right now, if you are the Texans, you're kind of in a Super Bowl window. Like, you have a good head coach. You've got, like you said, a good defense. Honestly, all you really need is one more really good wide receiver, and you could definitely be a Super Bowl contender. That being said, I think the odds that this trade happens is very low. And if I would bet on this, I think that uh, Cal McNair, the the owner of the Texans, is going to give Deshaun Watson some sort of control and who – they hire a head coach this, uh, and th- there have been reports that they haven't even interviewed Eric Bieniemy. but I think when it comes down to it, they're going to do something to make him happy and something to make him stay. And I just think, I, I just don't think Deshaun Watson's going to lead this year. I think it's just a bit too early and I think the Texans will figure something out. But again, I'm all, we talked about dysfunctional organizations with the Eagles, another dysfunctional organization with the Texans. They gave a promise to Deshaun Watson, the player, the franchise, the face of the franchise that, Hey, we'll give you input into who you want as a GM and as a head coach. And they didn't do it for the GM. They hired, um, they hired the guy from New England, Steve something. I'm forgetting his name, but they hired the guy out of, uh, out of New England. And Deshaun Watson was not happy with that. Because he was not given any he he was not given any input whatsoever in that, and obviously that's something that's going to anger you because you were promised input and you just were not given input. It literally makes no sense. Um, just to clarify, the guy's name is Nick Casario, uh, who's who was hired as a GM. So it's just weird. Like you give a promise to the player, the face of the franchise, and then you just go back on it. It's something that really if I look back in history, it reminds me almost of the Bengals and Carson Palmer, where the Bengals owner, Mike Brown, gave huge promises to Carson Palmer that we'll build around you and we'll help you. We'll let you choose a coach and we'll let you, we'll like, you know, we'll let you choose players like, Oh, you want to focus on wide receiver. We'll go after a wide receiver in the draft. And that just never happened. They never, like, Mike Brown never gave up his sort of stingy ways, never went out and spend extended like massive money in free agency. And that led to a, a drift and a rift in the Bengals organization. And it led to eventually Carson Palmer leaving the organization and going to Oakland. So that thing could, that could definitely happen with Deshaun Watson. I just think we're a, at least a year out from that being a legitimate possibility. But again, dysfunctional organization, Eagles, Texans, we can both have, I guess okay. we can both watch our teams suffer in pain <laughs> together um, <laughs> yeah um yeah. i think i think deshaun watson if they move on from him it'll it'll be a monumental trade it's it's a it's definitely like it's a gotta franchise. be like three first round picks yeah, it, has to be yeah. ridiculous. It, it would be like it's it's similar it would be like similar compensation to like what cleo mack the cleo mack bills trade because Khalil Mack was at the time top two defensive player, and he's still probably like top five, top ten now. But I'm just saying, like, 
it, back then that trade was humongous because you're trading the uh, arguably the best defensive player in football, and that was with like two firsts and like a swap third pick and then another second. It, it, you have to it's it's some crazy stuff that you'd have to give up to get Sean Watson because he's not. He's, he's playing the most valuable position in football, and that's the quarterback position. And he's top five in that. So you can't you can't uh, discredit Sean Watson. And that's who, with the weapons that he has, I think uh, if he's given Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, uh, Jakeem Grant, and those boys, and he's given the running back crew of, uh, of uh, what's his name, Miles Gaskin, Sylvan Ahmed, uh, I think I think that I think they got a shot, man. And they were ten and six this past year, and that was with uh Tua and Ryan Fitzpatrick with Deshaun Watson. I mean, who who knows how good that team can be? Um, but yeah, we'll see how the Deshaun such a Watson situation crumbles. And we can move on now. Uh, we I can actually touch on this really quickly, I guess. Um, the Bill Bill O'Brien, the dude that actually caused all the mess in uh, Houston. He's been uh he is uh close to being hired for um Alabama to replace uh, their offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian, and he's gonna be the offensive coordinator for Alabama. It's crazy that uh that you can be that you can be hired essentially that quickly, um with the job and from all that pain and suffering that you did to that organization, kind of crazy. And then Dan Quinn. Uh, the former Falcons head coach led his team to the Super Bowl, and uh, he's been hired as the Dallas Cowboys' new uh, defensive coordinator after they fired Mike Nolan about uh, about um, about a couple weeks back. So, yeah, those were the really major news uh, storylines. We spent a lot longer on news than we normally are used to, um, and it's because uh, surprising stuff and uh, stuff happened. I guess you can say in the time span of. Uh, game day and today we're recording on a monday kind of crazy and uh yeah talking about game day amal it was literally wild card weekend first week of the super wild card super wild super wild card yeah super wild card weekend we had six games uh six games on wild card weekend Mm -hmm. it's the first time it's ever happened and uh yeah we had the first like we've already explained this last week but the number one seeds of both conferences the chiefs and the packers both had buys so uh, i'll start it off we can uh we can recap the first game that happened and that was the indianapolis colts facing the buffalo bills frank reich visiting back he was a hero uh for the buffalo bills franchise the last time he was he he saw the bills in the playoffs and uh led them to a miraculous comeback down over four touchdowns and he got the job done with the Buffalo Bills as their quarterback, like I said, um, beating the Houston Oilers. So uh, kind of an emotional time for Frank Reich, obviously. But um, regardless, this game was easily the best game out of all of these playoff games that have happened. Uh, I wanted to talk about it last, but I think uh, I just wanted to get this over with. And it, it, uh, I can say this firmly. I think Philip Rivers had a great career, I think. People say it's overrated because of the amount of games he's played consecutively, and I get it. That's all fair, and that's all fair. But he he genuinely had a great career. He entering into this week, he was undefeated in the wild card. I believe he was four and zero. He had a major comeback against uh, the Colts, but I believe in two thousand like eleven, two thousand ten. He's uh, he's he's got he's had a, he's he's had multiple great receivers too. He's at Keenan Allen. 
Um, he's had Antonio Gates, of course, and he's had LT at running back, of course. But I think I think uh, it's f- safe to say, even though he had a loss in this game, he had a, he had himself a pretty good game, 309 passing yards for two touchdowns and two touchdowns. Um, I think the main reason the Colts lost was because of uh, coaching, the decision making. And I, I appreciate it because it's it's the it's the more aggressive play type of uh, situational uh, game game plan. I mean, it's it's too whether it's excessively aggressive. I I, I don't know uh, if I can agree with some of the play calls that were happening, such as going for it on the fourth and goal at the four yard line. That's very questionable uh, to make. But I mean, hey man, you have to live with the result. Uh, I I appreciated that we fought back. I knew that the game was going to be close. I said the game would be decided based off a late game turnover. It wasn't. It was decided based off of um. I, it was based off. It was just um. The Colts. The Colts just uh, struggled in the third quarter. I think that was the main problem that I, that was there. They they didn't they didn't show much in that third quarter of the of the the game. So. Um, that's that's where I'll leave it at. And um, the rookies, Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman, they had himself a great game. Uh, Taylor had 21, uh, 21 carries for 78 yards and a touchdown. Michael Pittman had five receptions for 90 yards. Uh, obviously a great future. I'm just uh, – is will be, will this be the last of Phillip Rivers? I don't know. I would not mind if he decided to return for one more year to be our quarterback. I, I honestly don't have much of a problem because these these rookies are only going to get better. So, I, and uh, I, I would not, like I said, I would not have a problem with that. But uh, I, I firmly do believe that this will this will be the last time that we see Philip Rivers on the field, probably capping off in a, a Hall of Fame career. I think he won't be first ballot or second ballot, but. He's going to make the Hall of Fame. He will be in Canton for sure. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, great career by Philip Rivers. And when it comes to the Bills, Bills, they, they look great, obviously. Stephon Diggs looks unguardable, just as everyone expected. You can't guard uh, Stephon Diggs. And many times throughout the game, Gabriel Davis made some incredible catches, toe-dragging catches. Sideline king. Yeah, I mean, he's he's he simply carried that drive that led them to get the touchdown. But oh my goodness, that that honestly was game changing because though there were I think there are four play there were four big plays on that drive and all four plays were reviewable and three of them were made by Gabriel Davis and if he didn't make if he didn't forget the the other three plays if he didn't make that first catch itself I mean we could be talking about a different result in the game because. That simply led them to get the touchdown. And um, Josh Allen leading the team in rushing yards. Obviously, um, Zach Moss got hurt later in the, on in the game. But, I mean, Zach and Josh Allen doing a lot of QB draws, QB option plays. I mean, Josh Allen just looks special out there. And we expected that heading into the game, and that's what we got. And, I mean, I'm happy for the Bills. Obviously, they they haven't won a playoff game in forever. and uh, it's great to see that it's good to see that they're back into the winning spirit after being in the shadow of New England. So that that's good that they that they're out of that now. And uh, yeah, now the team that's the biggest. I think that that's now the biggest threat to the Chiefs. They 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 did look somewhat 
suspect suspect though on uh, in the past defense past defense was garbage. I don't know what like I'm sorry, but uh, Philip Philip Rivers is good and all, but like he 300 yards, two touchdowns. I mean Michael Pittman looked open a lot. It, it, I mean there's obviously some concerns and some red flags. And if if they were to face Kansas City in the AFC Championship game, they got to fix that. So, um, but I expect them to to bounce back and uh, look forward to how they perform next week. Yeah. So, in my opinion, the Colts should have won this game. They were they just had multiple self-inflicting wounds, Amal, where they had multiple drops. Or Philip Rivers uh, late. You talked about a fourth down play in the red zone, where. You said that Frank Reich shouldn't have gone for it. I have no problem with Frank Reich going for it there. My problem was that Philip Rivers just couldn't make a good enough throw to Michael Pittman in the left corner of the end zone. And he was getting harassed by the defensive line. But that's something you – like if you had a Deshaun Watson or a Patrick Mahomes or an Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, they'd hit on that pass. And at this point in his career, Philip Rivers cannot hit on that pass. And you can't really blame him. Man's like almost 50, 40 years old. So it is what it is. But it was a lot of self-inflicted wounds in my mind that led to this Colts defeat. And they rallied back them all. And they exposed a flaw on this Bills team. A few flaws. Um, one thing is their ability to not run the ball that effectively. They finished the regular season, I believe, 20th in rushing yards. And a lot of that is because Josh Allen can run the ball pretty, like, pretty good when he has to. And he had to a lot this game. But when I, it's just that, that flaw for me, the not ability to not run the ball. It, like, usually if you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, that was a fatal flaw that cost them their game against the Browns and also cost them many other games later on in the season. But their ability to – the ability to not run the ball was also sort of parodied with the fact that they couldn't pass the ball that effectively, at least later on in the regular season. The Bills can pass the ball really well, and that's something that's been hiding that flaw. But if they can't – let's just say like the, the passing game is shut down. Can they run the ball to win a game or grind out clock? I don't, I don't think they can. And I really like the way that Brian Dable essentially – realized that the running game wasn't working and he used his running backs as wide receivers essentially to catch these like five to seven yard passes that he'd use to sort of sort of simulate a running game that wasn't really like they didn't have a running game so he used his running backs as wide receivers to use them as sort of a running back complement and I really like that sort of ingenious plan and it did end up working but also you talk about it the Bills I think more than their passing defense, their rushing defense was very suspect, especially late in that game. They let a lot of two or three massive rushes for 30-plus yards to Jonathan Taylor and the uh, Naeem Himes, the running back for the Indianapolis Colts, and that's something you just can't allow to happen. But overall, Josh Allen had a really good game, and I just think this Bills team is a very good team, and I'm just happy they could win the playoffs uh, for the first time in a really long time. I want to say it's been 20-something years. Um, but I just want to give them a round of applause for getting the job done. And yeah, the Colts, a lot of self-inflicted wounds, and you can blame that on Frank Reich, the head coach, if you want to. There was just a lot of faulty execution, and that's something you're just going to have to go into the offseason and see if you can fix that. And if you do fix that, then you win this game nine times out of ten if you're on the Colts, but you couldn't. So that was just what happened here. Um, we can move on to the Rams-Seahawks game. The LA Rams went into Seattle, and they won 30-20. to 20. And really the thing that stood out to me was Russell Wilson sucked and he sucked for a few reasons. One of the reasons is 
that the, the Seahawks just their determination to run the ball for two yards on first, second, and third down is just mind-boggling to me. And that is that blame you've got to place it on the offensive coordinator, um, Brian Schottenheimer. He, you have Russell Wilson. You ha- you can pass the ball. The rushing game is not really working that well. But you kept running the ball, and it was pretty obvious. Every third down and short, it would be a really obvious run. And you can't keep running that against an LA Rams defense, which is legitimately a top three defense in the league. I just don't understand that mindset whatsoever. And if I were the Seahawks, I would fire Brian Scheinheimer because he's done this multiple times. And the Seahawks, their offensive line was not good in this game. I think you can testify to that. Their offensive line was piss poor at best. It was just very lackluster they couldn't block anybody you had Leonard Floyd who's the defensive lineman for the LA Rams like being in the backfield multiple times Aaron Donald multiple times he's in the backfield just harassing Russell Wilson Russell Wilson was 11 for 27 and I don't necessarily think people are saying Russell Wilson is an elite because of this game it just shows me that every star quarterback needs help to win you need offensive line to help uh, help to win a game. Offensive line is probably the most important position other than quarterback in the NFL. And that's what this showed me. That the, I don't think Russell Wilson got exposed. I thought the Seahawks' lack of talent around Russell Wilson got exposed. And that's what led to a loss. Russell Wilson's still a very good quarterback. And I just think when it comes down to it, you need to help him. And the Seahawks have not done that throughout the, his entire career other than 2013, 2014, and 2012. 2015 as well, I guess. But the last five, six years, they haven't helped Russell Wilson especially in getting a good offensive line. And that's just something that the, it's just something that you've got to look at when judging the Seahawks team. They're 12-4, and four, or they have a winning record every year all. It's because of Russell Wilson. Like, forget Pete Carroll. Forget the talent on the team. There isn't that much talent on the Seahawks. The Seahawks would probably be like a 6-10 and 10 team without Russell Wilson. But because they have Russell Wilson, they're able to have these great seasons, you know, get high playoff seeds, host playoff games. But when it comes down to it, when it comes down to it, they just can't get the job done because in the playoffs, because of the lack of talent around Russell Wilson and because of poor play calling, lack of lack of offensive game plans that make sense, lack of play calling that is very sort of innovative. They just don't have any of that. And yeah, Russell Wilson deserves some blame, but he was running a lot for this game. He was running for his life, forced to throw balls away a ton, just it's just I guess when it comes down to it, they couldn't get the job down because of the talent around Russell Wilson. But also, I want to give massive props to Jared Goff and this Rams team as a whole. First of all, this Rams defense is phenomenal. The way they completely shut down an, a Hall of Fame lover quarterback in Russell Wilson, and they essentially neutered him. 11 for 27, 174 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. They, they just completely ruined his day. And that's something that the Rams can do. And Going on, going into the future, I mean, the Rams were not expected to win this game whatsoever, but the fact that they could go into Seattle and win this game is just hats off to you. And Jared Goff came off after John Walford got, uh, was knocked out of the game by Jamal Adams, um, the quarterback, the backup quarterback for the LA Rams. Jared Goff came in with a bum thumb, and he wasn't that great, but he got the job done. He had made some good throws when he had to. He led the offense. And you just got to give him props. 12, I think it's 12 days after a major thumb surgery. He's coming into an NFL playoff game, and he's leading them to a win against Seattle in a game that most people did not think they had a chance in winning because of Jared Goff being injured. 
you just got to give them massive props. And this run game has been reinvigorated. Going back to 2017 and 2018 prime days with Todd Gurley where they could set up the run game and they could use that to set up play action and bootlegs and lots of sort of identical plays that can go different ways. Cam Akers has been their Todd Gurley the last few weeks, and I've got to give Sean McVay massive props for going into Seattle and winning this game. Yeah, for me, uh, I'm with you. I got to give a lot of props to um, Jared Goff playing through that injury. John Walford, their uh, the quarterback that Sean McVay decided to start entering into entering into the game, he got hurt. He he went down. I believe he was in under concussion protocol, and I think he had a neck injury actually. Thank goodness uh, he got cleared. I think though, and he he seemed uh, he he was good to go. It looks like, and um, that 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 was quite scary. He he got stretchered. He was taken to a local hospital. It was good because uh, he got to celebrate with the Rams, obviously after their victory. And when it came down to it, I think the Rams' defense is is just simply too good, and they they simply were. It it, it was it was on another level, honestly, and. Uh, Jalen Ramsey is a lock, man. He's a flat-out lock. Uh, I mean, you you can understand now why that trade for the Rams was completely worth it. He is a lock. He 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 he. You couldn't you couldn't do anything about that, man. And he he was crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I I don't I don't I mean, it's just like damn. And when it came to the when it came to the Seahawks. Uh, Russell Wilson, he needs more help. I'm, I'm with you. Did not like what I saw, even out of him, though. He, he made some plays. Like, the pick six, that, that, that was insane. That was just great defense. But just, like, I don't know, decision-making could be a little bit better. I, I just feel bad for Wilson, man. He's getting unlucky in these playoffs. He hasn't had that kind of help on defense. He hasn't had that since the Legion of Boom days. Honestly, he hasn't really had that much of a shot. And now this Rams team is coming up at the right time. Jared Goff is getting another week to heal his thumb. And uh, this Rams team is feeling invigorated, especially after losing to the Seahawks just two weeks ago uh, with Jared Goff at quarterback. And that was for the division title. And uh, that clearly went did not go well. And now the Rams are in. And I, I, I said that, I could, that you could see an upset in this game if Jared Goff plays. And I don't know if Jared Goff playing was the major thing, major reason for why they won this game, because Cam Akers, obviously, he killed it to 28 carries, 131 yards, and a touchdown. But he made the right throws at the right time, and that got the job done. And that's what Jared Goff has been doing, honestly, his whole career. You, you, I never thought he was like excellent, stellar quarterback, but he, he's been like that his entire I, – I, I, it's almost on Jimmy G level, but – Hey, man, it's, it is what it is. I mean, congrats to the Rams. The Rams are now moving on to the divisional round to face the Green Bay Packers as they are the the, the lowest seed um, to play. So um, we can move on to the, the last game that happened on Saturday. Bucks, uh, washington football team. Not really too much to talk about here other than the fact that Taylor Heineke might have just given himself the starting, starting job with the Washington football team. Uh, I could still see the Washington football team maybe drafting quarterback in the first round, but Taylor Heineke looked good, man. Uh, he looked like he was ready for the role that he was given. He he gave it up. He gave it up. Gave up everything he got, I should say, 
and 306 passing yards and a touchdown, uh, and then six carries for four, six attempts to run for 46 yards and a touchdown. Uh, the the Washington football team honestly gave it all they got all together. Chase Young couldn't get to Brady whatsoever in the game. Uh, he wanted Tom Brady. He couldn't get him. I think that's all you could really say there. Um, our guy, a- Antonio Brown, he looked amazing. Uh, he had uh, he had himself a day, two carries, 49 yards, and a, uh, two receptions for 49 yards and a touchdown. And he also had a 22-yard carry. So we liked what I saw out of him. But the main guy was Mike Evans. Mike Evans had six, six, uh, six receptions for 119 yards. But – just overall, great football by the New England by the New England Patriots, <laughs> the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and uh, he's making it look like he is on the New England Patriots um, with with uh, the way he's performing. Uh, Tampa Bay is now, uh, yeah, the, they looked great, and we can move on uh, now. Unless you have anything else to add to that, just some quick thoughts. So, Tom Brady. Really, this is the toughest test of all for me. Other than probably, I think the toughest test would be New Orleans, who they're going to face in the next round. Spoiler in terms alert, of defense, the, yeah. Yes, uh, in terms of defense. Because Tom Brady, we've seen this entire year, and throughout most of his, at least the later end of his career, that he's very much dependent on time. If he has time, he's going to cover up the defense. And this Washington football team arguably has one of the best, if not the best defensive line in football. And the fact that Tom Brady was able to play, have a pretty good game for himself, shows you all you need to know. That, like, if they can give him time, you'll succeed. And they got past probably one of the toughest hurdles, at least on the offensive side of the ball, that they probably were going to face in the playoffs. And again, they probably had a tougher time with New Orleans overall as a team. But when it comes down to it, they got the job done impressively and I've got to get credit for the Washington football team. They played their, their heart out. And that's, I mean, that's, Again, there's a lot of like emotional awards. People, some people don't take solace on that, but I think if I am a Washington football team, I've got to think of this as an emotional win. That oh, I took the Bucks, who are a legitimate Super Bowl contender, and I took them all 60 minutes, and we almost won. You got to take that as a pretty big emotional win. But we can move on to the fourth game that happened and the first game on Sunday: Ravens at Titans. The Ravens ended up winning 20 to 13. And really the key here was, dang, this Ravens defense is really good. And when it came down to it, they stopped Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, the king himself, had 2,000 yards in the season. He got 40 measly yards this game, 18 carries for 40 yards. And it just shows you all you need to know. When this Titans offense can't run the ball, they don't really have that much I was gone for them. And I think Ryan Tano is a really good quarterback. I think he's underrated. I think people are going to hate on him because he didn't have the best game again. But I think he played a pretty good game. And honestly, when it came down to it, Corey Davis was out. I think that was a key thing that helped uh, that hurt their passing game. And he threw a pick late in this game where the receiver, I believe it was um, Khalif Raymond, slipped in the route and it led to a pick. And that essentially ended the game. Like if maybe if Corey Davis is in there instead, you have a different result. And I really think that this, honestly, if I was the, if I'm the Titans, I think the hardest test is the Ravens that I could have faced in the first round because they have the best rushing defense in the AFC, at least in the AFC playoffs of remaining. And yeah, it was just a tough day. Lamar Jackson also this Titans defense, uh, they showed up in a big way. They stopped this uh, rushing game for uh, on the running game for. 
J.K. Dobbins, for Lamar Jackson for most of the game. And they held, they played really good, at least in the past game as well. I've got to give them credit. I did not think this game was going to be a 20 to 13 game. I thought it was going to be a shootout. Both defenses played really well. And Lamar Jackson, really, what it, what it came down to was Lamar Jackson being Lamar Jackson and being able to make big plays on the ground. He had a 48, a phenomenal 48 yard rushing touchdown uh, early in the second, or I guess late in the second quarter to open up the scoring for the Ravens. But yeah, I guess my takeaways are that AJ Brown for the Titans is a beast and he's very underrated. But I also think that this, this Titans team needs to sort of shift philosophy away from being so dependent on Derrick Henry because eventually you're going to have games where we can't run the ball. And if you can't pass the ball effectively, you're going to be hurt. And they couldn't pass the game, uh, pass the ball effectively at whatsoever this game. Um, and that led to a loss because they couldn't run the ball either. So just an overall offensive failure for the Titans. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think uh, overall in this game, Titans had a very good first drive, like excellent first drive at Ryan Tannehill, I believe. He went six for six, flawless. A.J. Brown, great touchdown pass, done. Rest of the game, they looked garbage. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. actually, I'll take it back. They also had a great second possession to Lamar Jackson. They picked him off. Uh, then we started memeing Lamar Jackson, like, bro, come on now. You don't go 0-3 on us now. You can't, you can't be doing this to us now. And he, he turned it around. Uh, he had 136 rushing yards and a touchdown. That rushing touchdown he had was incredible. And, uh, yeah, they flipped the switch. And the Titans flipped their switch off and they, they didn't look the same ever since and it's because of that uh, that Baltimore Ravens defense and uh, yeah that's going to be a dangerous defense to face um, when it comes for Buffalo and that's and it's going to be hard for the, the Bills also to stop Lamar Jackson that's going to be an interesting matchup to see next week and when it comes to the Titans I think the Titans had, had themselves still a good year uh, they look suspect, though, man. Derrick Henry being only limited to 40 yards is uh, kind of scary. I think now, I mean, obviously, it's still very hard to crack the Derrick Henry code, but, damn, the Ravens really, really cracked it, man. I haven't seen Derrick Henry go under 40 or getting 40 yards ever. Um, he was getting two yards per carry for Derrick Henry is unheard of, and uh, it happened. I mean, crazy stuff, and... I'm interested to see uh, see how the Titans' future goes. Um, we can move on to the second game. Uh, Bears play the Saints. We had no really surprise in this game. Nothing much to talk about, honestly. The only real conversation is uh, whether Mitch Trubisky, whether the Bears will retain their head coach, Matt Nagy, whether they will retain Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback. And whether they uh, will have the chance to retain uh, their superstar wide receiver, Allen Robinson. Um, that's honestly the real only talking points in this game. Saints, I think they played they played their hardest defense, I believe, also in this game. They got limited. I think they could have easily scored more than 21 points. But, I mean, 21 points is probably the lo- lowest amount of points you'll see the Saints score in this playoffs. So uh, this is probably their hardest uh, game in terms of uh, offensive production. Against a phenomenal uh, Bears defense yeah, as well. Exactly. This Bears yeah. defense has really been wasted the last few years due to poor quarterback play. Yeah, exactly. So I think nothing much to really talk about here other than the fact that if the Bears actually had good offensive production, uh, this game would have been much closer, correct? Yeah, and also uh, 
there was a drop touchdown here, a drop like 40, 50 yard touchdown by, I think his name's Jawan Wims or something Wims, the guy who got punched by us, or I guess he got punched, punched CJ Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, CJ Gardner Johnson, uh, Chelsea Gardner Johnson. So, yeah, I mean, th- that guy, his only really, his only notable plays on the year are dropping a touchdown and punching a guy in, in a loss. So, yeah, I think if I'm the Bears, I've, Matt Nagy's got a job is definitely in, definitely in peril. But also, you got to keep in consideration, like, yeah, Mitch Trubisky probably had his best season overall, which is crazy because he got benched and all that. But I think he improved as a football player. But when it comes down to it, he's just still not good enough to win a championship or even win a playoff game. So I, if I'm the Bears, you got to move on from Mitch Trubisky. You're not tied to him in the future. You didn't give him a fi- uh, his fifth-year option. You just got to move on from him, just flat out. That's the move. And, yeah, so that's my takeaway. 21-9, to nine, New Orleans wins a pretty easy game. And finally, the last game, I'm all Cleveland goes into Pittsburgh and wins 48-37. to 37. And they had a 28 to zero lead in the first quarter. I'm all very shocking. And really, when it came down to, again, there are a few few key things here. This Browns defense capitalized on turnovers, like flat out. They capitalized from them. Either they scored a touchdown directly off of it, or they had rushing touchdowns or passing touchdowns. And this Browns offensive line, which is very much a makeshift offensive line, was able to give Baker Mayfield time in order to allow him to operate. Baker Mayfield. I played a pretty sound game. It wasn't like the flashiest game, but he had a pretty good game. I mean, I'll definitely take the stats. Stats aren't everything. 21 for 30, uh, 21 for 34, three touchdowns, zero picks. But when you're just watching it overall, he played really good. And this game did become close. Like we thought it would be in the fourth quarter and the third quarter, especially when Cleveland uh, essentially had a dry spell. They allowed, I think 20 unanswered points. But then they picked it back up. Nick uh, Nick Chubb had a pretty long reception for a 40-yard touchdown, and that was all she wrote pretty much. And the Steelers team, we hit on it over, we hit on, we over and over again. They couldn't run the ball, and they couldn't run the ball again. And that essentially what set them up for a big hole because they couldn't run the ball against the Browns, and the Browns have a very bad rushing defense too. But they couldn't run the ball against the Browns, and then they got in a negative game script because they allowed too many points. And boom, you had to pass the ball for 68 times. And Big Big Ben, four touchdowns, four picks, 500 yards. I think he set a playoff record for most completions, 47 completions, but four picks. He had some really weird picks as well where like he de- he just threw it straight to defenders. Just a very weird game for Big Ben. But I'm just sad because this might be the last Big Ben game we actually see. He might retire. I think the center for the for the Steelers, Marquise Pouncey, he's might also retire. It would very much be an end of an era for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But you hate you hate to see them go. But at the same time, they were trash talking the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Juju had a had a, a comment that leaked saying that uh, they're the same old Browns. And then the Browns came into Pittsburgh and for the first time ever in the Big Ben era, won, and it, they just outperformed them. It was a great team win. And Baker Mayfield, he's matured a lot over this the last since the last year, the last season. And you could see he put in the work in the offseason, and he put in the work also with the media. He like he doesn't credit himself for winning the game. He credited credited the whole team, and that's not something that the old Baker Mayfield was very much like well known for. He was he's never a selfish player, but he wasn't the most mature player. And we've seen him mature in front of our eyes as a player, as someone who speaks to the media, just overall as a human being. And just round of applause for Baker Mayfield for getting the first playoff win in Pittsburgh in over twenty years. 
Yeah, for me, I, I, I'm with you. I think uh, big props to to Baker Mayfield and, and, the, and this Cleveland Browns team. We thought we wanted them to do it. We didn't think they could do it, and they did it. And Baker Mayfield proved all the all the doubters wrong, and uh, he he got the job done without the head coach, without the off, uh, the star offensive guard, and uh, yeah, they they took care of businessmen against Pittsburgh, and Big Ben he had two fumbles, four picks, he had the most completions in uh, NFL in NFL playoff history. He had 501 passing yards. the The problem with the Steelers all year long, though, was the their rushing attack. James Conner. I, I mean, dude, I think the Steelers now might have to draft like a Najee Harris type of guy in the first round this year. I don't know what happened, man. Their running backs have not looked. I, I thought James Conner was good. He hasn't been looking good this entire season. Uh, I mean, I don't know. That might be a suggestion. That may not be the solution. I don't know, but. That, that didn't help. Juju Smith-Schuster talking trash before the game didn't help. Chase Claypool talking trash after the game also doesn't help. Him saying the Browns are going to get blasted uh, against Kansas City. I mean, Worst come on now. You're, 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 you're being a sore loser. I think wish the best, obviously. You, you, you Or you don't even answer a question like that. You shouldn't just don't even mention the topic. You, you literally just got blasted by the Browns. I don't think you're allowed to talk about the Browns, period. You, you should be talking about why you guys lost rather than why the Browns are going to lose next week. Whether they lose or not, it's none of your business at the end of the day because the only business that you have is that you lost. I, I had a very big problem with what Chase Claypool did. And then Juju Smith-Schuster underestimating the competition, but he's been doing that the entire season. I, I, don't, I don't know why uh, he's been doing stuff. Uh, his, his antics have been kind of crazy. Um, but in terms of this pure football game, yeah, I think the, the early turnovers really, uh, really helped uh, decide the game. Honestly, it, the the first snap of the game, the first couple snaps in the game, were resulting in in a, in a touchdown, and due to an aborted snap, that reminds that reminded me exactly of uh, the Super Bowl that Peyton Manning lost to Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. First snap of the game happened to be a safety, and that was because of an aborted snap. And I knew once once you have an aborted snap to start the game, it's the it's the beginning of the end. And I knew just from that that the Steelers team it's going to be very difficult for them to come back and improve. They did cut it down to thirteen, and uh, I would commend them from that considering they were down twenty eight zero. But uh, hey man, it, it still wasn't enough, and uh, they lost by eleven points. Um. Yeah, we can uh, we can move on, I guess. Now we'll give our um, power rankings. Arib has how many games right so far? Actually, we'll do that first. How many games do we have right so far um, in our playoff bracket? Um, to see that. So I picked the Bills and I picked the Bucks. I picked the New Orleans, and I did. Not, I I think we're both three and three. I think. Right or you would be? No, I, I'm I'm one less because I picked the Colts. Yeah, you're two and four, and I'm three and three. So not the best start, but we uh, at least I have my I still have my Super Bowl team still alive. I had the Bills, I had the Chiefs who are still in, obviously. I had the Saints, and I have the uh, and I have the Packers. So I, all that matters is that big game. I'm all we'll see the like the, the championship game teams are all that matters in my opinion. But, yeah, definitely. We can move on to our, our power rankings. Um, yeah, and this so, should be pretty quick because nothing yeah, really changed for me. We'll just um, talk about the top eight teams here. Yeah, and last week, our top eight top eight teams were um, 
for me, I had uh, the number one team as Kansas City, uh, Green Bay Packers at two, the Bills at three, the Saints at four, the Ravens at five, the Seahawks at six, the Bucks at seven, and the Steelers at eight. Reeb had the Packers at one, the Bills at two, the Chiefs at three, the, the Saints at four, the Seahawks at five, the Bucks at six, the Ravens at seven, and the Steelers at eight. So for us, we both had two teams that were eliminated in our top eight, and uh, now it's our job to see where the new teams go. Um, you can start from the Reeb, bottom up. So yeah. I still have the Rams. Actually, you know what? For me, I have. I'll, I'll I'll go first. I'll have the I have the Bucks at eight. Um, really? Yeah. I, I I just mainly because they they beat honestly the worst team and they didn't look honestly super impressive in their performance. So I I I'm gonna keep the Bucks at eight for me. I mean, they may perform really well, but I'm just saying right now from what I see. Yeah. So I have the Rams at eight still, and I guess when I come down to it, I just I don't trust their offense yet. Well, I know it's weird to say, but Seattle doesn't have the best defense. They did improve, but I just don't trust this Rams offense with Jared Goff to win key games, especially with his thumb. Like he was not himself. Clearly he missed a lot of throws. Um, and number seven, I have the Browns and it's purely like I had them at seven because their defense sucks. Like uh, compared to all the, all the other top five teams that I have or top six, they at least have at least at the bare minimum have competent defenses, but the Browns don't. And I know they got like six turnovers or whatever it was against the Pittsburgh Steelers, but that's like sort of lightning in the bottle. That's not going to happen again, most likely. So I've got to just say that that's probably more a fluke than it is a, a reality. It's more of a facade than, you know, it is real life. So I've got to get, put the Browns at seven. All right, so for me, you're going to call me crazy here. I have the Ravens at seven. And it's because I, they, they, they're facing the Bills, obviously, so it's going to be hard for them too. But the reason I have them at seven is because it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. And, uh, I mean, they did, look, they did look good. I just think the teams that are above them rose up above their competition, and that's why I have them at seven, if that makes sense. Okay, fair enough. I have the Ravens at six. And again, these are all top eight teams. So it's not like there's like a big difference. Like if, if I'm a Browns fan or a Rams fan or even a Ravens fan, I'd be ecstatic that my team was in the top eight going into, yeah, exactly. the, going I, I, into exactly. the season. So like eight the difference one. between seven and six, seven, even seven to one is not that big. But I have the Rams at uh, the Ravens at six. And um, I had them below the Bucks. And I guess the Ravens do have a better defense overall. But I think when it comes down to it, I just still trust Tom Brady more, even in his old age, than I trust um, Lamar Jackson to win a game through the air. And I know it's weird, but it's just what I'm seeing. Like, if you give Brady time, you can trust him to win the game through the air. And I don't know if I can trust Lamar Jackson to win a key playoff game uh, through the air. And if, if his rushing game gets stopped, then it's a problem a little. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I think right now for me, my number six is uh, the LA Rams. And my thing here is I'm all about having an elite defense. And the Rams do have an elite defense, and they showed it against Seattle. Seattle has a great offense, and, and they, they completely shut them down. 
And now against Green Bay, it's going to be hard to shut down Aaron Rodgers. But it's I think if any team can do it, it's the Rams, honestly, because it's hard to have a battle just one-on-one. It's, it's hard to battle it out with Aaron Rodgers. And the games that Aaron Rodgers have lost, it's because of great defensive play. And I think uh, – I think the Rams have the best shot of, at doing that. And uh, they they really impressed me, Reeb. Um Probably the first time they've impressed me since uh, it's been a long time. It's probably been over a month since the Rams have really stood out to me and really impressed me. And the fact that they did this without Jared Groff is even more impressive to me. So I have the Rams at six. And then my number five team is the Cleveland Browns. And it's they also just stood out to me. They They just looked dominant. And uh, beating the Pittsburgh Steelers, who were trending up at the time, and uh, they took care of business in Pittsburgh, division rival. Uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna. I'm very impressed by that one. Baker Mayfield's performance. No Stephen, No Kevin Stefanski. No problem. So I'm gonna keep the Browns at five. Yeah. So I have the Bucks at five. I have the Saints at four, and I guess. They're probably the big four, like among the big four of teams that can win a Super Bowl this year. I guess there's a big six, but the top four teams that have pretty much been unanimously the top four teams this year. I had them at four because Drew Brees, I still don't trust him. I think the Saints have the best roster overall in the league by a mile, but I just can't trust Drew Brees at this point in his career. So, yeah, I'm going to put the Saints at four. Um, Who do you have at four? So for me, I actually moved the Bills down, and I'm going to keep them at four. And it's because they barely won, man. At the end of the day, the Colts were probably the toughest test. And even if they lose in the future, I think the Colts will still be their toughest test because they got tested uh, like crazy in that game. But I, I, my, the problem here, it, it was just they won because of, like you said, the Indianapolis errors that were there. And, uh, I mean, it's going to be very difficult for them to, to beat Baltimore, man. Even uh, the Ravens, they have uh, – they have an elite rushing attack, and uh, it's going to be hard to stop Lamar Jackson. Lamar, the battle between Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen is going to be very interesting. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to slide the Bills down and put the Saints at three, and that's because they took care of business, I guess, in a more impressive fashion than the Bills. And, like I said, they were limited to 21 points. 21 points is normally fine in a game. But uh, the Saints offense is really good. So 21 points, I'm okay with that. That being said, against the Bears. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the, the Saints are three. And then, yeah. Cool. So I have the Bills at three. I had them dropping down from number two. And, yeah, I think I saw some not necessarily like major flaws, but I guess this team isn't perfect, and those imperfections can definitely be sort of taken advantage of, of like, the Chiefs, for example, they might not be able to run the ball. Or even like the Ravens, for example. The Ravens can run the ball really well. And this this Bills defense had a major, like a massive hole when it came to the rushing defense. And that's just like a, it's a flaw that sort of drops them down for me. Like, And I, I had the Chiefs at two. I had the Packers at one. Packers, number one, I just think they're overall with the quarterback play that they're getting right now. I think they're the best team in football. The Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, I got to put them up above because I think when it comes down to it, Patrick Mahomes is just better than Josh Allen at this point. And I think even though the rosters are pretty close, I'm just going to give it to the edge of the quarterback here. But yeah, that, yeah that's, so for that's me, my top three. Yeah, so for me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still keep my, uh, my same 
two teams. I'm going to have the Packers at two and the Chiefs at one because the Chiefs uh, still are dominant. They still have only lost one game, and uh, they've beat Buffalo already. They've beat um, they beat all these teams already. So I, I'm I'm very confident in uh, in saying they are number one. Whether our uh, Super Bowl predictions say they may not come out on top. Uh, doesn't matter. I think right now they need to show they, they need to um, prove prove us wrong. Then they they need to um, they, the the Packers need to prove us wrong and uh, take the throne from the Chiefs. And I think if uh, if the Chiefs lose, I think it's a clear shot for Green Bay um, to take it. But because because they're playing the Browns, the Browns are going to be tough still, and uh, it's just, it's going to be a test to this Cleveland Browns defense to uh, hang up hang with the. Uh, Tyreek Hill, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, um, and those boys. So, um, yeah, that's that's my uh, top three Chiefs, uh, top eight Chiefs, Packers, Saints, Bills, uh, Browns, Rams, Ravens, Bucks. Yeah, um, we can move on to I think our playoff predictions and all our playoff brackets looking very different than what our overall playoff bracket was uh, last week. Well, we can start with the first game. It's Saturday on Fox. The Packers are going to be hosting the six-seeded Rams. And I think this the six-seeded Rams are going to be a pretty strong test on the defensive side of the ball. Jalen Ramsey is probably the only cornerback in the league right now. Other than maybe Jair Alexander, who's on the Packers, who I think has a legitimate shot when it comes to locking down Devontae Adams. And if they can do that, it's going to be a tough task. But I just think in the cold, in Lambeau, with a bum quarterback, uh, with a quarterback with a bum hand, rather, I've got to pick the Packers here. And it's not really even a second thought. The Packers are six-and-a-half-point favorites, according to CBS. Yeah, I'm also going to take the Packers here, too. But I think this might this will be a tough test for them uh, in the defensive end. Uh, I think I think uh, Aaron Donald and, and that crew is, is going to be very tough to stop. Um, but... Yeah, uh, if Jared Goff comes back and he's fully healthy and uh, he starts picking this Packers defense up to pieces, then uh, you can see a very interesting game. But uh, even in a very interesting game, I'd probably still lean the Packers. And uh, I expect this game to still somewhat be close. Uh, I don't know if – I think the Rams – I think the Packers will still cover. I think it'll be a touchdown game. So I'm going to take the Packers here as well. And then uh, we can move on to the Saturday night game. Ravens Bills probably the best matchup of the week, uh, probably the most evenly evenly it's even team matchup I think, and uh, the Bills are one and a half point favorites in Buffalo. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean here the Bills. Uh, it's gonna be a close game like I said again, but uh, I think they pull it off um, because of Josh Allen's elite quarterback play. I'm gonna go the Ravens here actually. And I really like the Bills. I think both these teams are legitimate contenders for the Chiefs to knock them off. But I just think this Bills defense, what I saw from this Ravens defense versus this Bills defense, the Ravens defense just, they played so much more better than the Bills played against the Colts. The Bills couldn't stop the run, especially late in that game. I think if the Ravens can get up to any sort of lead, they can run the clock out. And I just think, yeah, I think Lamar, I think Josh Allen's going to have to play a perfect game. And I, I just don't know if he can do that. And I guess I'm doubting him, but yeah, I guess I'm doubting him. That, that That's just, I'm, that's where I'm going to leave it up to. I don't think it's going to be a pretty game. I think the Ravens, 
are going to have a tough time early. They're going to have a tough time passing the ball as well. But if they can run the ball with efficiency, I think they can win. That being said, I'm rooting for the Bills here all the way. All the way. I love Buffalo. So I'm rooting for the Bills. But I think just logically, I just have a feeling that this Ravens defense can do something that this Bills defense can't do. So I got to pick the Ravens here. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's fair. And uh, we can move on to Sunday, Sunday 3.05. We got um, the Cleveland Browns against the Kansas City Chiefs. We're both going to be rooting for the Cleveland Browns here. They're 10-point underdogs heading into Arrowhead Stadium. That's going to be a very loud stadium, too, for the Cleveland Browns. Um, definitely going to be different from what they, they had against in Heinz Field. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Chiefs here. I, they'll cover the spread too. I think they're ten point favorites. I think they're gonna cover here. It, it's gonna be very tough to beat this Kansas City Chiefs team. But if the Browns do it, man, that's gonna be a, a, that's gonna be a Cinderella story that I've never I would never imagine happening. So I'll take I'll take the Chiefs though. Yeah, the Browns can't stop the passing game, and they can't really stop the running game. But that doesn't really matter, even though they did a pretty good job against. The Steelers, unless they get up to a big lead, I just don't see them winning this game. I don't even think it's going to be any lead. sort of even a, even big, a big lead is not safe with the Chiefs. Yeah. The Chiefs, yeah. the Chiefs. The, that being said, the Chiefs do have flaws. I think this Bill, the Browns' pass rush is good enough to where they can put some pressure on Patrick Mahomes. But I think when it comes down to it, their their secondary players could just not. They just can't cover well enough, and we saw Big Ben even with his four picks, he still torched this defense in the third and fourth quarter. Exactly. 500 yards. And I just think Patrick Mahomes is going to do that all game. So I've got to pick the Chiefs here. We can move on to the last game. And this game is honestly the most interesting game, I think, other than Ravens and Bills. Bucks are going to go to New Orleans. The Saints are three-point favorites. I'm picking the Bucks here. 0-2 in the year. You're taking the Bucks. This is the third time, by the way. You've taken the Bucks all three times this year. Yep, I have. And I just think this is the time it's going to happen. The Saints are known for their playoff letdowns. It's going to be a close game. But I just have a feeling this Bucks offensive line played a pretty decent game. And I just think I just think they can get the job done. If they get they if the, and if they can get the job done, then there's no reason why this Bucks game will not be close. I just think they got embarrassed last time they played the Saints football. Embarrassed. They, they scored three points. Like even Kendall Hinton. The, literally the wide receiver for the Bucks who played quarterback for the Broncos who played quarterback scored the same amount of points. I think they, they they're going to come into the stadium with vengeance and they're going to play a good game and they're going to walk out winners. And maybe it's just me hopeful that we're going to see a Brady Rogers rematch, but I just think the Bucks are hotter than the Saints are right now. And I've got to go with the Bucks. Uh, yeah. So um, this is the battle of two 40 year old quarterbacks. Uh, I mean, has that ever been done in the playoffs? I'm not sure. Not hundred percent. No, no, definitely not. And um, it, Brady put out a tweet, uh, basically them looking like grandpas in the tweet, um, and that putting like a promo for this game it should be on the History Channel. And uh, it, I mean, it's two very, very old guys playing quarterback here. And uh, the Saints are three point favorites. I said it the first two times. I said the Saints would win comfortably. I'm actually not going to change my mind here. I'm going to still say the Saints are going to win comfortably. Three strikes are out of the old ball game. So uh, I think the Bucks are going to go 0-3 on the season against uh, the New Orleans Saints. But it, I expect uh, this game to be very close. So um, the three points, I think that's probably how this game is going to go. 
I think it'll be decided by a field goal or less. So yeah, a really fun Sunday night game. Definitely, as well. yeah. So definitely the Ravens Bills game is a game to look out for. Bucks Saints is definitely another game. And if if there are, I mean, I can easily see the Rams upset the Packers if uh, Aaron Rodgers has one of those days like he did against the Bucks and just like just completely crumbles under the pressure of the defense. The Rams could upset the Packers and that would blow our minds 100. percent if the Browns Chiefs or the Browns get an early lead, Patrick Mahomes uh, completes a comeback, but the Browns pull away, also would not surprise me. So all all four of that these games are. Me. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean the the Chiefs the Chiefs have played the the Ravens game the Raiders game definitely scared the hell out of me though both times and uh, they, they they haven't looked they didn't look good in those games. So I mean the Browns. That 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 game still could be very interesting. Um, this is Kareem Hunt's quote-unquote revenge game, according to him. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily a revenge game. I think uh, he he deserved to get cut at the end of the day. I mean, you can't you can you can sign him later. Maybe that makes sense. Second chance you could have given him, but the Browns decided to give him the second chance before the Chiefs. So I don't know why he would say necessarily it's a revenge game run. Uh, it's it's on him that he got cut. It wasn't because of anyone else. So, um, but yeah, uh, lots of great football this week, uh, divisional round, and we're inching closer and closer to Super Bowl Fifty Five. And uh, yeah, Reap can't can't wait. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone, to episode 51. That's right, 5-1 for the Flu Flicker NFL show. And again, i just like to say thank you to Doug Peterson, and thank you for listening. Peace out. Bye.